Ah, yes, friends. On a Wednesday, the midweek OGP One Giant Podcast, where, of course, we are your hosts, Adam Armbrecht over here, also covering the Brooklyn Nets on the Locked On Nets podcast, and over there, that season generational ticket holder for the New York Football Giants, Mr. Andrew Mackowitz, who is, by all accounts, healthy, wealthy, and wise. You know, Adam, having having a child in in the pandemic, work life balance, all this great stuff. Like when they get up mm-hmm. at six a.m., it just hits different. And so today, I may be a little sluggish, and I think you're doing me a solid because what we're going to talk about today on the show are things that are going to invigorate me because I'm the one that talked to you about it, and I got excited about these topics because Adam, you're like, you know what? I don't I don't go that low into like the CD earth of the back alleys of Twitter, and I pulled you in slowly but surely this morning to make sure that we talked about it i respect you know twitter there's a lot of good good information good reporting good debate goes on over there but uh as we'll dive into it here we're going to talk a little bit about some high level quarterback play coming out of the super bowl get into a bit of a discussion maybe a debate and then also touch in on another key uh new york football giant fan and organizational debate around a specific positional player here this offseason. So it's going to be kind of a, a setting the table here, a little looking back and looking forward as we start to build ourselves into this offseason where there will be a lot of key decisions to be made from a New York football Giants perspective. And maybe the global NFL decision that needs to be made is about one Matthew Stafford, who, of course, as we know, led those Los Angeles Rams to a Super Bowl victory Tinker take parade. They did the whole thing. Pageantry. It was all beautiful. And for some strange reason, Andy, the immediate question was, is Matthew Stafford a Hall of Fame quarterback? I don't fully get why the guy that just came to the new team and is going to be there for several more years and is not nearing retirement at any point um, is apparently needing to be evaluated about what whether or not he will find his way to Canton when it's all said and done. But I know, I know you're going to get me there, friend. You're going to tell me why it matters. Well, you're just, you're a little bit cynical about this and you don't understand why this topic even exists. You sound like Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk who feels the same curmudgeon way and doesn't embrace debate or like any of these discussions. And, you know, that's the opposite of me. I actually enjoy these things because I think it's it's good. No, I, I think the, the important thing about Matt Stafford, obviously he spends 12 years in Detroit, which very difficult to win in Detroit, right? Sure. And then he... You know, the, the Rams say, you're our guy. You can bring us to the promised land. We think you're that much of an upgrade over Jared Goff. We're willing to mortgage picks and and money and, and okay. dead cap and everything else just to be able to have you as our quarterback. And guess what? Les Snead gets a lot of credit, the general manager, for pulling off that trade and it coming through to fruition, right? Like, it, it, was, it was a big-time move, and it paid dividends because they won the Super Bowl. You can never take that away. Yes. Now, what's what's fascinating is, Stafford basically never won a playoff game while he was in Detroit in those 12 years. Um, He had a really big mixed bag, you know, ownership, tons of different head coaches, like things were, things were a mess. He comes to the Rams and now people's argument is, well, if Matt Stafford had a competent front office, a competent head coach, like we would have seen this Matt Stafford more frequently and all of his stats, like he accumulated a ton of stats was averaging like 50 pass attempts per game Mm -hmm. those stats would back it up with more wins and losses if there was a a systematically better front office and coaching and and gm and ownership all the way through for him but but, but here's what okay well this is i'll engage in it here's why i think it's stupid it's not about the comparison of oh well he was in detroit and now he was in la and imagine what he could have accomplished what i'm telling you is i assumed that he was going to be a hall of famer when he retired 
even if he had played his entire career in Detroit, like by the end of it, the win loss record would be the hard thing that you have to look past because he played in Detroit and they, they were never a very good organization. But all of the numbers, all of the stats that he put up still would have carried him and put him among the top quarterbacks inside of the Hall of Fame. I'm sure you have some of them there to back it up. He has another three, four years of football ahead of him. Maybe you're going to talk about never had a lot of, you know, playoff opportunities or playoff victories, et cetera. But there's plenty of, you know, Dan Marino holds a lot of records, never won a Super Bowl. Did that stop him from being an automatic Hall of Famer? And no, I'm not saying that Matthew Stafford is the same level of Dan Marino. But the point is, is I didn't I didn't enter this season or enter the trade of Matthew Stafford to the Rams and say, oh, now he can validate that he was a good quarterback. I think the assumption was we're going to give him a little bit of extra credit for living and playing in Detroit for all those years on really bad teams. So that that is interesting that you say that because I didn't feel the same way about Matt Stafford when he got traded from Detroit to the LA Rams. Like my, my initial thought yeah, when by him, the time it's done is what I'm saying. By the time his career was done, which is another three, four years of compiling stats. So wherever he is now, he's going to be another three or four positions higher across the board. Right. But if he wins three or four games and this trade never happens to the Rams and he's winning four or five games, but throwing for 35 touchdowns in Detroit, are you grading him on a curve at that point? Like that, like, most people are saying that this season validated what everyone has thought about Matt Stafford his entire career. And what what I'm saying is if this if this season never happened, you never would have been able to actually see it on the okay, field. Okay. And you're saying that would have been good enough for you to put him in because you're saying he still accumulated all these yards and all these touchdowns in spite of what was around him. Sure, I'll frame it in another way. And this is a different level of conversation around quarterbacks. I've had this debate with people before too. Aaron Rodgers, doesn't always come up big in the big spot, right? But everyone agrees that he is one of the all-time greats to have ever played the position, correct? Yes. Okay, he's won one Super Bowl. He clearly, if you if you evaluate him on his pure talent versus what the results have been, he's underachieved, right? Everyone always talks about Tom Brady. He's the product of dedication and hard work and maximizing every single ounce of what he is as an NFL player. So Aaron Rodgers hasn't been. So should he not be considered one of the all-time greats because he hasn't won multiple Super Bowls or he hasn't been to three or four of them and come up short or he hasn't won in the big spot or his playoff record isn't so shiny? Because when those things come up, we point to the team around them. And I, I've, I've pushed back against this idea over the last couple of years. Well, remember when they didn't end up taking Jordan Love instead of getting him another weapon? You still had Devontae Adams for his entire career, right? Like you still had a lot of pieces around you. And at some point you start to, and this is why these things are difficult for me to engage in because you start talking and nitpicking and trying to dissect what, what was the value of this player versus that was their defense good enough? Did they struggle? Right. Aaron Rodgers has had, has had really good coaches around him and all those other pieces. I don't want to get into that debate of it, but Matthew Stafford, we talked about him a couple episodes ago outside of Jim Caldwell. He never had a really good coach when he was in Detroit. When Jim Caldwell was there, Detroit won and Matthew Stafford played really well. So, yeah, I just again, like that's the nuance of it. I was able to look at Detroit and say, what, 7% of what was going on around Matthew Stafford was quality for his career in production. Yeah, I, I, I can split the hairs there and understand where he could have been if he had spent his entire career in Green Bay. Well, so that's it. That brings up a good point. And it, it actually brings in uh, who's been catching some some shrapnel as an innocent bystander in this whole thing. And that's Eli Manning. Right. Sure. And and so for Giant fans, now everyone's saying, well, is Stafford a Hall of Famer? Look at Eli Manning. Who deserves it more? Matt Stafford or Eli Manning? If you could only put one of them in like 
now, now they're both getting pulled into this and they're saying, well, look at Stafford's career statistics versus Eli's statistics. Stafford's are slightly better in terms of completion percentage, yards per attempt. He's going to have a lot of the metrics that Eli does not have. Sure. The funny thing is, Eli's a, you know get, gets crucified for his 500 record lifetime. Matt Stafford is still 25 games under 500 because of how bad things were in Detroit. So I, I, what I find fascinating about this whole thing is you talk about how Aaron Rodgers has underachieved and you talk about Eli Manning being a two-time Super Bowl MVP and going on two iconic runs. Like what, what is more important when we're talking about the Hall of Fame? Like what do you value more? Do you value flashes of brilliance or consistency of play over a longer stretch of time? Well, well, but that's I think that they get weighted differently, but either route can still get you to being a Hall of Famer. And that's my point. Matthew Stafford, the record, he's a well under 500 record, and he may never get to the point of being over 500, depending on how long he plays for. Right. OK, but I look at the stat. The eye test tells me how good he is. Right. That's a part of it. I watch him play. He looks like a guy that is a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback that was unfortunately bootstrapped to a terrible organization. I don't know what Eli Manning's career would have been like if he was drafted by the Detroit Lions. But when I look at Eli Manning's career and he's only a 500 quarterback, if you take away those runs into the Super Bowls and the Super Bowl MVPs, is, is he a Hall of Fame quarterback? No. But when you go on all-time great playoff runs, when your QB play is a huge catalyst for the success that you go on. We know everything else that goes into it, the defense, et cetera. Yeah, that's what elevates you. We understand that. Quarterbacks are held to that gold standard of have you achieved at the highest level? And if you're a average quarterback, career quarterback, and you achieve at the high level, highest level, and then you do it again three or four years later, yeah, that's going to elevate you into that conversation where you're probably going to get yourself in there based on doing it when it mattered the most. Matthew Stafford, maybe for lack of opportunities, did not get to show it off when it mattered most. But everything else around his career indicates that. And on top of which, he just did it, whether you think he's on this compiled roster of incredibly high talent. He went and got he got that on his finger there. He'll have another chance maybe to get another one before it's all said and done. And listen, you want to have a real debate around Eli or, or, or Stafford, talk about what Stafford's career would have looked like if he had been drafted by the New York football Giants. What if his what if his career ran the exact same timeline that, that Manning's did? The Giants would have had would have had success. I don't know if they would have had the clutch component that Eli brought to those Super Bowl runs, but I bet that Matt Stafford would have been much better off from a wins loss standpoint than even Eli Manning was because he's a, na a more naturally gifted talent. Well, so this this also bleeds into something else that you said because you you talk a lot about Stafford. You know, he was like the number one recruit in high school. Yeah. He was amazing at Georgia, number one overall pick. Like he's had the pedigree. He's proven that he's he's a very good quarterback. Here's here's the so Richard Sherman comes out and he likes to speak his mind. He likes to talk. Some people like it, some people don't. You know, a different flavor for for different people. What I do find fascinating is Richard Sherman is basically coming back and saying, okay, but think about this. Like, not everyone needs to be in the Hall of Fame. Like the Hall of Fame should mean something. It should be an upper echelon type of player. And like, you know, the Pro Bowl, you know, Pro Bowl is, is voted by, by the fans. It's kind of a little Ooh, bit of a man. popularity contest. Not necessarily the best indicator of someone getting in. But to that end, in 13 years, Matthew Stafford has been to the Pro Bowl one time, right? So he's been like one of the best quarterbacks in the league one time. And then on top of that, what they say is the better designation is to be, be an all pro. Right. Like that is voted on by the coaches and the media and the players. Like 
that is uh, like a ring endorsement from your fellow players that like you are that dude, right? Mm-hmm. Matthew Stafford has never been an all pro ever. And, and <clears throat> so Richard Sherman said this and, and uh, a guy f- from Fox sports, Jason McIntyre went on. He's like, yeah, but how is Matt Stafford supposed to ever win an all pro when you have Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, all all playing at the same time as him. And then Richard Sherman's like, that's my point. Like the point is you're making my point for me because like if you're not one of the top five quarterbacks of your era, like at what point does the VIP club become too big? Like if you well, couldn't beat them at least one year, one okay. time, have flashes that- of brilliance, then what are we doing? Name any one of those years where the Detroit Lions had a better team than any of those other teams those quarterbacks played for, right? That would be my, my immediate pushback would be name name a time when Matt Stafford had a better roster around him than any of these other high-level, elite, maybe all-time great quarterbacks, right? That'd be what, the about, what about this year? What about this year? Right, but but again, again, it's semantics. Now Aaron Rodgers at the end of his career, and everyone's going to get bowed down at the knee for him because he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And Tom Brady switches teams. But, like, again... I'm not, first of all, that's a popularity contest, and it's also an exposure contest, and this year maybe should have been one for Stafford, right? Should have had a bigger run. And by the way, I talked about Stafford over the course of these playoffs where I said the guy is trying to throw interceptions, right? You look at him, and you do you do cast a suspicious eye around his ability to make smart football decisions. There's some conversations that he had a lot of injuries nagging over the course of the season. He's been a virtual Iron Man his entire career for the most part. But yeah, like all, all these things come into account. The thing that I agree with that, sh- that you can say that Richard Sherman brings up is it's fine if you want to say that the Hall of Fame should be this very elite of the elite. And the criteria around that is first and foremost, did you win the big one, right? Okay, that's the first box that has to get checked to be in there. But by that standard, you would say, so then where's the threshold where Dan Marino still gets in because he didn't win one, right? Now you look at his stats and they're all great, but now as the era and as football has evolved, where are his numbers going to end up in another 10, 20 years? All of a sudden, statistically speaking, you'll look at Dan Marino and go, hey, he was just a guy. Did he even win a championship? No. What do we even care about this dude? And that's where I think it gets muddled. So if you... The Hall of Fame has not been constructed in a way to say it's only by these certain metrics that you should measure a quarterback or any individual player. You have to have some level of nuance around it. I think the great uh, deep dive on stats to do would be how do you create the percentage comp from 30 years ago to today and compare stats on an even playing field, right? We understand the progression of the NFL, yardage, et cetera. How do you try to get these things into the similar pot where you could debate Prior to this season, Matt Stafford's career projection up against Dan Marino's and try to understand where these guys would land. But I see, I don't even think you have to go that far. You're, you're thinking about some like philosophical way to calculate all this stuff. It's like there are other Hall of Famers that Matt Stafford's career overlaps with for a good portion of it, whether it's the middle, the beginning, the end. There's been a at least five to seven Hall of Fame quarterbacks that have come across Matt Stafford's time in the NFL. Mm-hmm. He is yet to be the best player during any of those years, he's only made one Pro Bowl. I know the Pro Bowl is a popularity contest. The other one is voted on by 50 media members that are well-regarded, well-respected. All pro is what the players care about. And my whole thing is like, listen, if you're, if you're basically saying it's, uh, you know, if, if you were a top 10 quarterback of your, of, you know, your decade, like he never even made an all decade team, right? Like there's a million different things that Richard Sherman was pointing out. 
not to bash on on Matt Stafford, but to say like sure. if we're going to say the Hall of Fame, like you have individual awards. There are rings of honor for the teams that you play for. There are different levels to like what you need to be. If you're a Hall of Fame quarterback, like it needs to mean something in like the pantheons of football. It can't just be like, okay, that guy, you know, had a losing record, but he played a couple of years with the Rams, had one playoff run. Like, okay, I'll I'll end this right here because there's another debate that we want to get into here. Matt Stafford right now is 86, 95, and one after going 12 and five this season with the Rams. In his first season with the Rams, being surrounded by talent, his career completion percentage, which is only 63%, and you could say that's a good one to look at and say not so shiny, especially as the NFL has moved itself into this more progressive passing style of competition, 67% this year. He threw for 4,800 yards, almost 4,900 yards. He threw for 41 touchdowns and 17 interceptions. His career ratio is 323 to 161. He's two to one right now as it stands. He's 34 years old. He just turned 34. Four years from now, if this guy even gives you 30 and 10 touchdown to interception seasons, the ratio is going to get closer to three to one than two to one. The completion percentage is going to continue to live above 65%. You would like to think. And the record one more season, he'll be a 500 quarterback above 500, two more seasons. He'll be well above that margin. And all of a sudden, even if he didn't win another ring, if he get once he moves that record and moves those numbers, if we're talking about, you want to go back to the, the debate on Eli Manning, guess what? One, one or two, one versus two. I think Eli Manning should be in the hall of fame. But Matt Stafford is only two years away from being better than Eli Manning in every single category that matters, shy of a second ring. And that's and that's why this argument, everyone's talking about it right now, the snapshot in time. You, I, I appreciate that you're projecting the next four years of what Matt Stafford's production could be. And yes, if he does it for four more years and, and does it for, you know, and adds 30% more to his resume, then of course, I, I think there's a good shot. But ultimately, I find this fascinating because Eli gets pulled into this, even though he hasn't been playing for, for years, just because he's that, he's kind of the, the bar that people have set. Like, he's got top 10 statistics, but he's kind of played on mediocre teams. He was never the best when he played, but he had two flashes of brilliance in the playoffs that ran his team for a couple of months at a time. And it feels like Matt Stafford is at that tipping point right now. Yeah, he's going to get there. And the reason why Eli Manning is held up as that standard is because he's the example of a guy who, by stats alone, shouldn't sniff the Hall of Fame. But because of two very specific runs that he went on, and incredibly deserving so, he gets put into that conversation. So that's that's always going to be this bar that you can hold guys up against. Speaking of debate, since we're here talking about it, running backs. We recently, we've been talking about this. The Giants, you know, are setting up for a big offseason. A lot of decisions to make. Joe Shane has said that he wants to get us into a spot where he has cap room. Looking for about 40 mil, if you can find it. Pull out the couch cushions. And I saw it over on YouTube on one of our last videos where someone was, could not believe, was irate around the idea that, and I, you and I have gone back and forth with it, and I think I, I've been very forceful on it, going back all the way since, <laughs> since prior to this past season, that the Giants need to move on from Saquon Barkley. There's $7.2 million of cap room just sitting out there waiting for you. And this debate around, oh, the talent, you don't give up on players like this. want to go ahead and throw out a quick stat here before we get into some of the options. I want to give some names and some stats for you to maybe give your, uh, your, your take on if they'd be viable options for the Giants to bring in to, quote unquote, replace Saquon Barkley. You can go all the way back. Shout out to uh, Marcus Mosher over on Twitter that I pulled this from. From 2009 to 2021, in the Super Bowl, 
No running back that has been in the Super Bowl on the winning side has made more than $2.5 million. So this idea of high-priced, high-talent have to go get these guys in the top rounds, that's debatable. And not all these players are in their first run, their first contract, rookie deals, right? Leonard Fournette last year was brought into Tampa Bay on a bit of a veteran's minimum there, $2 million. Cam Akers made $1.1 million. Damian Williams, $1 million. Sony Michelle was making $480,000 when he was on a Super Bowl winning team. And going all the way back to guys like Pierre Thomas and James Starks and New York football's darling, Ahmad Bradshaw, $1.5 million in that in that Super Bowl win for the New York football giants. That That's just a jumping off point of why spending money on a position like this doesn't make sense and why understanding you'll get some diminished value in a trade why moving off of Saquon Barkley makes all the sense in the world because you can turn the third-round pick you get back for him into a low-priced replacement. Oh, Adam, 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 what are we doing here? Like, of course, you pick the one thing where, where you, you, you find a stat and you're like, oh, I really like that. That's really nice. Look at, look at all these numbers. They line up perfectly. Makes perfect, perfectly good sense. I'm here to pull you back away from this just slightly because I know that you you would be happy with trading Saquon Barkley. Um, I prefer to yep. keep him here. Um, but I think one of the things that that we forget about is like we're talking about the Super Bowl winners and we see those numbers. There's a couple of things that skew those numbers. One is like a lot of those teams had first round draft pick running backs on there who like at the back end of the first rounds where you find a good, competent running back and you can get them on the road for, for a couple million. No, definitely not the Giants. But what I will say is also, like, let's not forget that they had to play against a team in the Super Bowl. And that Super Bowl team ultimately lost the game, but was there for a reason. And look at the Bengals. Joe Mixon is on their roster. He signed a 12, you know, a four-year, $48 million deal. You look at the Chiefs last year, they drafted Clyde Edwards Alaire to be able to be that running back in the first round. They they used draft capital to get it. The year didn't work out for him, did it? What? Oh, well, they've been replacing him with with Damian Williams at times because Hilaire hasn't been healthy, which, by the way, goes into this bag, too. When you spend big money, we spend high draft capital on a running back. You have to attach and associate the fact that the guy's not going to be healthy all the time. And oh, by the way, Saquon Barkley has not been healthy all the time. No, he has not been healthy. Yeah. But but what I'm saying is to think that you can't make it to the Super Bowl and have a chance at winning oh, or no. be competitive. Yeah. You know, look back when the Rams lost to the Patriots, Todd Gurley was there. They had signed him to a big contract. Granted, the contract doesn't work out afterwards, but you can still make runs, you know, before oh, that. Of course, of course. The miracle comeback that the Patriots had against the Atlanta Falcons. They were paying De uh, Devonta Freeman in Atlanta like $10 million a year to be their running back. So, like, yes, the winners all seem to have this in common where it's $2.5 million. But the teams that are playing, it's been a mixed bag when you look at it. It's like the, the two teams that finally make it through, one team at least, like, yes, has, has a $2.5 million, but a lot of others found a different path to at least get to the Super Bowl. Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. And listen, by the way, the difference here for the New York Football Giants is you're not competing for a Super Bowl next year. So that's also why you shouldn't be paying a running back seven, even even seven point two million dollars or especially again, circumstantially about that. He's going to be coming up, Saquon, for a new contract. That's a big part of this component, too. And the an interesting, just humorous little footnote would be, hey, the teams that didn't win the Super Bowl that were there and played in it and had high priced running backs. Where else could they have spent that money in those years that maybe would have improved their team in a different way that maybe would have gotten them that win? Sometimes they're the only reason that the teams are there, right? Like, of course, it's a, it, it, that is not a 
I mean, when you make it to the Super Bowl and you're you're one of the last two teams standing to be like, hundred well, percent, didn't do this. I mean, that's that's the hardest part. But I think it is it is a fascinating stat to see that all of the winning teams have a running back making under three million dollars. If you look at it, like the losing side, ninety percent of them. If you look over the last decade, they're either you know top of the market in terms of how much money they're paying, or they spent significant draft capital in order to get and acquire someone like Clyde Edwards Alaire or, you know, whomever. Yeah, exactly. And listen, it, it can be circumstantial through the through the lens that you choose to look. You can make things a, a little bit more to your side of the other. That's only the tipping off point, though, here, though, because seven point two million dollars for Saquon Barkley. I want to throw out a handful of guys, one of which is a restricted free agent, but all the others are unrestricted free agents coming into this offseason that the New York football giants could look to use capital at went over to spot track that projects the market value for these running backs heading to the heading into the free agent period this offseason the first one and the only one who is a restricted free agent in this and you know what i'm gonna hold off on him because i really like him and maybe the giants would really try to maybe a little push for him chase edmonds projected for a three-year 15 million dollar contract average annual of five million little little more than two million dollars saved of off of saquon barkley and also avoiding the contract again everything is about avoiding paying a contract to a player that you're going to have to keep around or everyone's going to say you have to have him stick around especially if he has a good season and you get draft capital back as well he ran for a thousand rushing yards 4.8 clip 713 receiving yards on 96 catches over the past two seasons like None of these guys are the one-to-one replacement of the high value that Saquon Barkley could be, but you're not going to tell me that you can't take a guy like Chase Edmonds and put him into your backfield in a tandem system and say, look, 4.8 a clip and averaged 50, essentially 50 receptions a year and is going to give you three, 400 yards per season in the receiving game as well. That's that's the more expensive of the options I'm going to give you. Is that somebody that you think just objectively regardless of replacing or not, but do you think that that's, these are the type of viable players that the Giants could look at in free agency and say, hey, listen, there's value here that we can plug in behind what we assume will be a rebuilt offensive line. Well, so Chase Edmonds is an interesting one because he has some of the same problems that Saquon Barkley does where he can't stay healthy, right? And that's why they have to have him in a timeshare and they go out and get someone like James Conner who's a little bit more like between the tackles, ground and pound to be able to to help that Arizona Cardinals offense along. So like, you know, the, the it becomes another philosophical question, which I know your answer on this is like, well, yeah, every single running back gets dinged up. So why put so much money into them knowing that that, 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 position has such a high you know propensity for injury mm-hmm. like just get a couple guys at, at a 2.53 million a piece plug them in for the same amount they're paying Saquon Barkley and put the money elsewhere at a position where maybe we have those guys like a tackle or somewhere else that could be on the line for a while and, and also extend the timetable of when you're going to spend big money at a position right five million a year over the next few years we know the Giants have some players on their roster at the position right now that could stick around as well but by the way you mentioned James Conner he's projected to go for a two-year, $11.9 million total contract. That's his projected market value. You could look at him if you wanted to. He had that really some devastating injuries, obviously going back to Pittsburgh, managed to find his way back to the field. Guys, I'm not touching in on here, but just mentioning two years, $10 million for a Sony Michelle. Cordell Patterson projected for a two-year, $18 million deal. More money than you'd spend on Saquon Barkley, but we understand kind of the dual, nay, triple value of a Cordell Patterson, already 30 years old, probably outside the market, but this guy exists out there. Marlon Mack, a guy that had an injury but also just fell out of favor in the rotation for the Indianapolis Colts, he's projected to go on a two-year, $5 million kind of prove-it year after he had big three seasons when he first came out of the draft and then teetered off a little bit. Again, 
not telling you these are my bell cow. Can't wait. Got to get them in the building. They're going to lead the charge here. But all of them have proven track records of having success. And the other two guys that I want to give stats on were one, Ronald Jones out of Tampa Bay. Obviously, we know things are going to look a lot different there for them now that Tom Brady has retired. 4.5 yards per carry. Has had does have seven fumbles over five. Fumbles the ball so much. He's like a turnover machine. Imagine pairing him with Daniel Jones in the backfield. It's like it's gonna it's like hot potato. Like who's gonna fumble it next? Right? It's your choice. No, I'll fumble it. No, no, no. Listen, guys. No, it's your turn. It's your turn. It's been a couple series. I know you want to break on the bench here. Why don't you take it, Rojo? Like you take this one. A hundred, a hundred percent. But like again. He's out there on a two-year $5.6 million. That's what the market value looks like. These are these are two little over $2 million a year is the contract hit you're looking at here. And none of these guys, am I telling you, is a one-to-one replacement of the premier talent that Saquon Barkley can be for you. To Ernest Johnson, might remember him, went on a little bit of a spree there in Cleveland. Two-year $5.3 million projected uh, uh, contract for him this offseason. 5.3 yards per carry. 19 receptions for 137 yards with a catch percentage of 76% coming out of the backfield played in about 15, 16 games only started two. 25 years old coming in, obviously displayed that he has the skill set to be a, a piece and a component to an offensive system. He is the restricted free agent on this list. But if you're telling me again, that I can cut the money that I'm spending on that position by more than half, this year and immediately turn around and apply to something else that I want to bring into this roster. It just, it makes sense. Let alone the fact that from picks 113 to 147 in the upcoming draft, you could get James cook out of Georgia, Kyron Williams out of Notre Dame projected at 116, who is a pass catching and an incredible pass blocking running back in the draft. Something the giants want to add to that stable as well as Damian Pierce out of Florida or Rashad white out of Arizona state. Like, there are so many opportunities to allocate assets in a better, more productive way. And you should not, if you're a New York football Giants fan or a, an NFL fan in general, you should not be able to look at the situation that the Giants came out of with Dave Gettleman as the GM who drafted Saquon Barkley second overall and has universally been panned as a terrible decision and still somehow find yourself here saying, let's keep him for 7.2 million. Let's not get any value back for him. And then you will either one, let them walk in the off season, which will not help with your compensatory picks because the giants are going to be bringing in a lot of players over the next couple of years or two sign them to an extension of some kind where again, you'll only see the diminishment of the value that you're pe- spending on a position like running back. All right. So Adam, uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if the listeners know how you feel about this. Like you didn't really, it was devoid of emotion. I need you to next episode, pick it up just yeah. to, just a, just a touch. So, know. That, you know, they could feel the emotion. I can't only be the raw true fan of the team here. Um, all right. So understanding how you feel, I have an, at the end of the day type of question Ooh, for you. Me. And at the end of the day, let's say that the giants can't get any takers of Saquon Barkley, $7.2 million. If you could snap your fingers and just remove him from the roster, get no draft capital, no assets, nothing. The only thing you get back is a $7.2 million for this upcoming season. Are you doing it? Okay, if, if we're going to – I'll put a caveat in it because the idea that we get no takers, right? We're, we're putting some restraints, unrealistic restraints on this. If that were the case, my my question would be, Am I getting, am I getting a starting guard? 
because because I snap my fingers and I have seven point two million in cap room because I I get rid of Saquon Barkley. Because if that's the case, then yes, I probably do. If you're telling me that I get a starting offensive lineman for this team, then yes, I'll replace him in the draft or free agency for less money, and I'll worry about protecting Daniel Jones or whatever quarterback's going to be under center. And I'll worry about being more productive in the run game. Something you keep seeing around the league from running backs behind good offensive lines that you had never heard of before they stepped on the field. Then worry about keeping a $7.2 million running back. What a headline that is going to be for our listeners. Adam would prefer to not have Saquon Barkley on the roster. I would, yeah. Rather, yeah. Adam headline. Saquon Barkley outright. Adam, Adam wants to cut Saquon offer. Barkley outright. Does no longer wants him on the team. Adam, you should be ashamed of yourself. I've seen some other Twitter people that feel the same way as you, but don't worry, OGP listeners. I'm still here. I love seeing electric Saqu- Saquon Barkley whenever we get him. Hopefully he sticks around a little bit longer. Well, yeah. I, I, I think the realistic thing is that you get a third or you know, third round pick for him. Well, Adam, Adam, stop yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. We already know you want to cut him. at the end of the day. No more Saquon Barkley. Probably Daniel Jones is going with him. Adam is, is gut, gut renovating this whole thing. And uh, our team's going to look drastically different, at, you know, week That's one right. next year. Yeah. I'm the architect. Follow me to glory. Uh, listen, this really does set the table for what comes next for us here on the podcast. We're going to be talking about the big decisions the Giants need to make this offseason. Saquon Barkley. We talked about James Bradbury before. Just all the big contracts, how the Giants can look to create more cap room for themselves, and then what are the free agents and what are the potential draft picks that they're going to utilize to reconstruct this roster. There's several layers in and around this. First and foremost, are all the key dates of this offseason and the implications it has on cap, on contracts, and what the Giants are going to be capable of moving forward. So that's the next phase for us here this offseason. Obviously, I've painted myself into a very dark corner here. There's only one way out. There's only one path. Just like we said about just like you said about Matt Stafford. Oh, there's only one way to judge a man. No, 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 my friends. You got to get into the nooks and crannies. That's how Eli Manning made himself a Hall of Fame quarterback. And that's how I made myself a Hall of Fame host of the OGP One wow. Giant Podcast. Follow us over on social media, One Giant Podcast. Of course, uh, check us out over on YouTube where the subscriptions and the numbers and the comments start to grow here. We really appreciate it. Ask your questions. Get after me. If you think I'm absolutely insane around Saquon Barkley, fine. Or Andy. He could be wrong. We all know that he could be wrong. And in the meantime, until next time, as Andy wants, needs, and always demands the people know. As always, let's go Big Blue. 